You're listening to Creative Capes by Future London Academy. Honest conversations with designers, entrepreneurs and innovators. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, dear futurist, design leaders and creative thinkers from around the world. I'm Ekaterina from Future London Academy. And today we have another special episode of our Creative Capes podcast. And the special episode is all about trends and transporting and foresight. And we are trialing this new format of Design Hotline, and uh, which means it will be fun, there will be games, there will be questions, there will be a lot of interaction. So be prepared, it will be a lot of entertainment for you, but also a lot of useful information. And today, to discuss this important topic of strategic foresight, trends, futures, all these important topics, I have a great guest, Sebastian Van Lerf, the founder of Superframe. Hi, Sebastian. Hi, Katrina. How are you doing? I'm very, very good. And uh, just to introduce Sebastian a little bit, uh, he has been working in the whole area of innovation, future and foresight for quite a while uh, before he worked at Future Laboratory. Now he runs his own company called Superframe and it focuses on all these interesting things of trends across technology, fashion, retail, and how can we use them to create better products, better services, better brands. So Sebastian really believes in the future and how can we use and harness the future um, to create a better present. Uh, so I'm super excited to talk today to you, Seb. And obviously we have lots of chats about the future ourselves. So uh, <laughs> finally, other people can listen to what we usually discuss. Uh, so I would love to start uh, with a kind of a broad question of why do we need to even think about the future and uh, how can we generally use it in our life? Mm, yeah, um, I mean, to be honest, I think that's actually a really good question that um, maybe sometimes we don't ask ourselves enough, at least from my point of view, I would say that, um, obviously. But um, I think, I'll, I'll tell you why I think it's a good question and then I'll answer your question. But um, the reason why I think it's good is because I think intuitively, like people get that, like, if you think about the future, that makes you more prepared and that's a good thing. So intuitively, like we get that it's good to think about the future. Um, but then we don't really kind of think more about that. And so often then people kind of go like, well, that that's probably it, right? Like you're just more prepared. Um, but interestingly, there has actually been been some research done to, I guess, kind of more rigorously um, prove as well that actually that there are tangible benefits um, to thinking and really engaging with the future. Um, and so I cover actually some of this stuff on, on the course as well, um, because I think it's just good to have this kind of fundamental knowledge because not everybody always knows this. And I think, you know, when you take foresight into a business, it's good that everybody's aware of uh, the value that foresight can bring. And so um, I think it was um, McKinsey did um, a longitudinal study, obviously, if you want to kind of show the benefits of uh, thinking about thinking long term. Um, but yeah, they, they were able to show that actually kind of businesses that take the long term view um, actually um, through kind of thinking long term um, can create this kind of like quite big impact on their bottom line of the business. So they kind of were able to show that, you know, they had quite significant increased um, kind of margins. They had bigger revenues, um, but even in terms of kind of market cap, um, again, they could see that these businesses really outperform 
businesses that didn't necessarily engage that much with the future. So um, even from a kind of a pure kind of economical point of view, um, you know, we, we can already see that there's kind of value in engaging with the future. Um, and interestingly, there's another study that showed kind of the flip side. Um, and it was this guy called Finkelstein who looked at um, businesses that failed. And he kind of analyzed the strategies of these businesses and kind of was looking for, you know, what is it, why, why are these businesses failing? Um, and the number one reason it was kind of like 80 something percent um, of these strategies kind of basically had like a misjudgment about the future and didn't kind of really give much thought to the future, which made them kind of miss or underestimate um, certain changes in the environment. So um, interestingly, we now kind of start to see some evidence that actually, you know, not just intuitively, it makes sense, but actually from a business point of view, um, it, it, it makes sense. And I think um, there's this guy that I quote in the course a lot as well, but uh, I think he just has so many good quotes. And there's Yogi Berra who said, um, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. And I think that's kind of like in a nice, I think it's like a nice way of putting like, um, again, like showing the value of thinking about the future, you know, kind of, if you don't really engage with the long term and, and, and think about where it is you want to be uh, in the future, then you're kind of at the mercy of the present and whatever changes are happening in the present. And you're basically constantly trying to play catch up with what's happening. Um, I agree. And I think it's so great that you mentioned the kind of the difference between thinking about the future and also making the wrong predictions. And I think that, well, we don't need to go further than the last year where we ever, everyone was trying to guess the future and we're still trying to guess the future. And I think it's very interesting to see how everything that we do actually needs to be considered with what, what the world will look like uh, mm. in a year. Like we are not anymore in a safe position where we can just keep doing what we've been doing. Suddenly everyone understood that actually probably thinking long term is a better strategy. We constantly need to be um, aware of the, the shifts and changes that are happening and how we can prepare for them. And I suppose everyone who hasn't been prepared for things like digital transformation and thought, ah, that's like so far and, you know, remote working and all of that will happen somewhere else in like 50 years and suddenly it happens to everyone. And those who were the least prepared for that scenario um, turned out to to be um, to have a loss, and uh, it's it's very important to have these conversations throughout your journey as a company or a person. Uh, and even if they don't happen, you already much better prepared. So talking about the future, and I love that you mentioned the course because uh, yes, of course, you are curating one of our courses about st uh, strategic foresight and transporting, which I already done. So I'm super excited about everything that I've learned. Um, so the, I won't reveal too much to people about the course because I feel like everyone should experience it for themselves. But um, one thing that you talk a lot about there are trends. And I suppose this is the most common discussion when mm. we talk about the futures. Everyone wants to know what's trending, what are the trends. And I love how you describe in the course that obviously a lot of people think about fads instead of trends and trends are obviously much more important shifts in the society they're not this what color is trending today or what hashtag is trending on twitter it's about the the more um the, the bigger shifts in the society that will affect a lot of us so talking about trends um 
I would love to hear what are your thoughts on um, the current trends for 2021. Do you have any particular favorite trends? I don't know if you could name three maybe ones that excite you the most and that we should all pay attention to. I'm definitely, I'm extremely excited still um, about health and kind of, I'll kind of dig into exactly what I mean with kind of health. Um, I can almost hear people go like, well, duh. Um, I think, yeah, for sure, um, duh. It's kind of, you know, the physical health trend, I would say. Um, and what has... do you mean physical health, like more uh, preventive health and kind of looking after yourself rather than... Um going to the doctor when something <laughs> goes really bad. Yes, yes, exactly. So kind of people um, kind of really investing a lot more in kind of their food, uh, investing in kind of the exercise that they're doing, um, etc. to kind of indeed with that eye on kind of more of a preventative health. Um, so I think obviously that's kind of been happening for a while. And then kind of recently, we've also seen more investment in kind of mental health. Um, but what I think, for example, is like a really interesting addition that kind of was very emerging last year um, where it kind of was sexual health, essentially. Um, and kind of sexual health kind of coming out of like the dark corners of the taboo world and kind of people being like, well, listen, like, you know, sexual health is a part of like, you know, your health and it has an impact on how you feel and kind of how you look at yourself. Um, and we shouldn't be afraid to talk about it and engage with it really. Um, and so what you're kind of seeing is you're kind of seeing new interesting products, um, a lot of them kind of designed by women for women and um, kind of on the market as well. And kind of also like with different purposes as well, um, but even kind of in terms of like spaces popping up where um, women come together to kind of actually also just talk about sex and kind of maybe sometimes what they struggle with and what works for them. Um, to even kind of like in terms of like content, we're starting to see like podcasts that are kind of aimed at kind of people um, and kind of like sexual health, um, which I think at the end of the day, um, that can only be a positive thing that, you know, we kind of um, don't kind of keep it in this area of taboo, but actually um, make that a topic um, that we engage with, given that it can have such a positive impact on how we're feeling. So I think that personally, I think is a really interesting one. Um, the other one that um, I'm quite excited about in terms of health is tele telehealth, um, which I kind of I've, I've heard some numbers um, and obviously kind of very much driven by the pandemic. But kind of I think it was um, in the US before the pandemic, two percent of Americans had kind of engaged with some form of telehealth. Um, and don't correct me on this, but I believe I believe the guy said that now that number is at 70 percent. So seven zero. So wow. it's a kind of huge. And um, again, I think the potential there of having making health more accessible um, and being able to help more people, um, I think, is a, is a really interesting shift. And then the last one, because I think, you know, health is one that really cuts across everything. Um, but what I think is a, a really interesting one, again, to kind of explore and where we can kind of play around with a lot is uh, wellness architecture. And that also kind of started, I would say, kind of a couple of years ago um, that was starting people um, within the world of architecture to kind of say, you know, actually, 
the built environment has an impact on how we feel and um, you know we can kind of design for pollution and so how do we filter out pollution um, and that can even be light pollution um, but also how do we design spaces for mental health as well and and then that's when you can kind of start to see how you can apply that to different spaces so kind of office design is like an obvious one but then even residential design um, or even retail, right? So I think there's kind of like, it doesn't have to be like a wellness space for you to invest in kind of wellness architecture. It's kind of, I think it's bigger than that. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting one. And you definitely see kind of, again, more businesses getting involved. Um, like Ikea has even these curtains that filter out air pollution, et cetera. So, you know, it's kind of like you that's see more. Amazing. I know, right? Like, um, so there's, there's definitely a lot of kind of um, even innovation happening in that space as well. Um, so I think health, um, yeah, for sure, I think is an interesting one. This is amazing. And I, I love like how many examples you kind of bring up. Uh, I just want to quickly play a game with you. So hold, I feel like we will continue talking about trends after we, we have also a couple of callers who want to, to get in and ask you many questions. So we'll play a quick game now, uh, but we'll continue with trends after, after this couple of conversations. So are you ready to play a game? I mean, I, am I? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm curious. Gaming, I'm very curious. This, yeah, this yeah. This is the time. It's a fun game, so don't stress too much. So the game is which invention wasn't predicted by sci-fi? So I think what, what's interesting about the whole topic of futurism when we talk about uh, the whole idea of researching trends and understanding what what's out there, the whole idea is that the more kind of you imagine different types of futures, the more likely some of them might happen and then you will be prepared for them. And I think sci-fi has been such a great example of these people who kind of imagine different types of futures and then they happening with certain <laughs> certain um, time and uh, certain accuracy which is quite interesting obviously lots of things didn't happen from sci-fi but still quite a lot of them um, did and uh, quite precisely which is quite weird so I will name three inventions that we all have now and you need to guess two of them were predicted by sci-fi they were in literature in movies and books somewhere and one of them wasn't written by anyone maybe not sci-fi but written by someone imagined by someone before it was invented so two are uh predicted and one hasn't been predicted are you ready yeah okay by the way everyone who's listening can try to imagine and play this game with us so the first one flip phone antidepressants or electricity which one has not been predicted in any sort of writing oh god um I would almost think the flip phone. And you're wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> the flip phone, actually, uh, in Star Trek in 1966, a, an iconic communicator device looked a lot like a Motorola flip phone that was released um, 10 years later. So that was the prediction. And uh, antidepressants, I think that was very surprising for me that antidepressants actually... Uh, not surprisingly, by Huxley's uh, in Huxley's, Huxley's book *Brave New World*, published in 1931, it features a mood-altering pill called Soma that acts mm -hmm. as an antidepressant. 
In real world, the first link between depression and chemicals in the brain was established only 20 years later. So he wrote something about something that science actually didn't think about yet. Uh, so that's quite surprising. And the, the thing that actually wasn't predicted is electricity. I mean, the reason for that, maybe some people wrote about it, but there is no um, <laughs> memory of that because obviously 18th century, uh, not much, uh, not many people wrote about electricity before it actually has been invented. But uh, quite, quite exciting uh, things um, have been predicted then. Okay, second one. It's a hard, it's a hard game. So um, I, to be honest, when I was researching it, I was uh, mind blown myself. So um are you ready to for 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 the second um yeah question? Let, let's see if i can redeem myself okay uh again two of these have been predicted and one haven't been so which one is it is it submarine is it credit card or is it radio uh i'm gonna guess uh radio right i'm gonna go with radio yeah i think the submarine was was kind of predicted and there was a writer uh i mean jules verne wrote about it um so i feel like a couple of people wrote about that um but anyway i'll yeah tell me <laughs> i have no idea to be honest okay you were you were almost there and actually there is a common misconception jules verne actually wrote uh, about it while it, there has been military testing for five years by then so it wasn't uh, kind of his invention but uh, it, he did um, invent the electric one, I suppose, in his book. So you, we can count that as a yes. But actually, um, so that's the one that hasn't been, I suppose, invented by sci-fi because it existed before. But credit cards, I think that was a surprising one. So in Edwards Bellamy's 1887, 1887 novel, Looking Backwards, the main character falls asleep in 1887 and wakes up 113 years later to learn that his home has turned into socialist ut utopia where he could swipe a card to pay for an item. And actually credit cards appeared in the US only 40 years later. So he predicted a card in his book and uh, they appeared only 40 years later. And the radio actually has been uh, kind of predicted in, uh, well, actually in a um, couple of novels, Kind of t talking about the news that will be um, not read but heard and all of this fun so that's quite interesting okay last one hard one hard one let's see if you can try try this one it's actually the hardest um okay which one of them has not been predicted is it bluetooth headphones is it escalator or is it facebook um let's go with um escalators and you won <laughs> well done uh so it is true i think this is one again that usually people get confused about but uh, it actually it's actually very very surprising um it has been patent in um uh, long before any sort of mentions in science fiction and uh, Bluetooth headphones uh, were actually in Ray Bradbury's uh, Fahrenheit 451. And uh, he talks uh, about seashells and thimble radios that resemble earbuds and headsets, uh, headsets with, that we have now. And in the same novel, uh, he also talks about people communicating with friends 
through a digital wall. Hmm. What does it look like? It looks like Facebook. So again, I mean, it's slightly vague, but kind of counts as as a right direction. So, well, one out of three very hard questions. I think you did really well. You did really well. Seriously, these all were really hard. And by the way, I did not come up with those. Um, I have to thank brilliant writers, Peter Katecki, Sarah Kessler, and Alison Cooper, who wrote about these things in different sci-fi communities. So I, I researched their work rather than had to do it myself. So thanks to the authors. And uh, now it is time for our hotline. So are you ready to answer a question from a caller from the universe? Let's um, do it. Let's do it. Okay. So let's let Rune in. Hi, Rune. Yeah. Hi. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Good, good. Thanks for calling in, Ron. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Where are you? What do you do? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so my name is uh, Ron. Um, I run a, a small design and innovation consultancy based in Copenhagen, uh, Kurt Thompson, and we are specialized in supporting the early stages of uh, innovation, mostly within the, the energy sector. So a lot with the renewables, wind, solar, uh, wave, uh, energy storage, and, and so forth. Uh, and we're normally dealing with like the long-term innovation, so you could say the, the futures uh, thinking innovation. But from a very uh, visual perspective, uh, we're industrial designers and architects, but working more with it from creating images and, and uh, shared images uh, and shared languages uh, around this new innovation. Um, so what I wanted to hear you a bit about was actually some that you also talked a little bit about already is how do you actually uh, um, make sure or like um, you could say how do you make sure in these very engineer heavy uh, processes uh, like like uh, energy but it could also be other high-tech uh, industries that the R&D and innovation departments uh, actually see the value in this uh, more explorative uh, approach to things because what we tend to see is that, yeah, there's a, a need for the things, but maybe they already kind of have an idea of uh, where the, the future is uh, going, uh, so to say. But as you say, there's a value in, in trying to broaden out the perspective in different scenarios or uh, concepts and ideas. Yeah, so I think, um, so energy is a really interesting one because it is indeed kind of one of those like really slow moving industries. Um, I think like transport is another one where they kind of like, the cycles of like cars or like you know when they change that that tends to take quite a while as well um or like even like ships and trucks or that kind of planes all like same category like innovation takes a really long time um and then where, where i probably have the most experience is kind of more development um but same thing right like you build a building and it takes a couple of years for you to build it and it also ideally like stays around for a for a while um and is fit for purpose for a while so um yeah and it's i i think i kind of had a very similar experience to you that not always in these industries that have actually really long cycles that they engage that much with the future um and maybe development isn't that engineering heavy but um let me let me answer your question um first i think um what what i think is interesting is kind of when when you look at these businesses and they like you kind of point out right they tend to be quite focused on kind of engineering and the new technology and what it can be used for and kind of how they can kind of improve on that um 
But what's interesting is kind of when you look at um, disruption that has happened in those spaces, um, it often kind of came from like a blind spot, essentially. And that's really where foresight or kind of like trends can help um, because what you're kind of what you want to be doing when you're kind of looking at the future is go beyond your kind of business and your kind of smaller world and actually look at kind of the world around you and how that's changing so for example you know like I think Tesla I, you know whether you're a fan of Elon Musk or not as kind of like irrelevant at this point but you know like he succeeded in making that the most valuable car company at this moment in the world in just a couple of years. Um, and so again, that's kind of like, that took a lot of people by surprise because it happened so fast. Now you've got Google, who's kind of quite serious about autonomous vehicles. Um, and obviously they kind of had no business, if you will, you know, if you were a classic car maker, you know, you'd say that they have no business in making cars and, you know, here they are. And uh, now obviously Apple is trying to get in the game as well. Um, and then kind of in terms of energy, again, you can kind of see, I think like a lot of them were very much focused on oil and kind of what are new ways to extract oil and shale was like a really big thing. Um, and then I think it's actually in Denmark, uh, Ørsted or Ørsted, um, who kind of, you know, they, they went from Danish oil and gas, um, and then they decided actually, you know, like the future is not in fossil fuels, the future is in renewables. And I think I actually, I looked them up um, and they are now the most sustainable energy company in the world um, as of this year. And so I think, you know, if, if you kind of, if, you know, in those sectors, the focus is very much on like, yeah, let's focus on the technology and improving that. But if you kind of don't look beyond kind of your business and look a bit broader, um, what what's likely to happen is you're going to be caught by surprise by a change somewhere else where you think oh you know that's probably not relevant for us um but then all of a sudden that changes can you along with that can you elaborate on um, like how do you then how do you make sure that you use like the the right uh, foresight tools or the right uh, future thinking uh, tools where you are in the, the process, uh, depending on where you're like deep in, involved in the innovation process or you're more in, involved in the strategic uh, definition and uh, vision process. Uh. Absolutely. So I think um, one one of the, the things that I think is, is quite important, if not critical, um, when, when kind of using foresight is try and kind of engage people as much as possible um, in that foresight research that you're doing. Um, so kind of rather than, um, you know, kind of showing up to an innovation workshop where you kind of want to develop new ideas and prototypes, etc., with uh, a set of trends and introducing it there and then, um, it's always good to actually, you know, as you're researching the foresight to involve all the people who are also going to be involved later down the line in term, and who will actually be working with it, um, especially with engineers, right? Because, you know, they, 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 they usually know a lot, especially about technology. So it's really good to kind of, um, for them to unload everything they know on you, um, but then also kind of bringing in outside experts um, to show that, you know, there's kind of other people out there um, who, who are kind of experts in their respective fields um, to show them that um, there is also kind of a, a rigorous method 
behind um, the foresight that you've developed. You know, it's kind of, you didn't just pick up um, a sci-fi book and went like, oh, this looks like an interesting idea. You know, like, let's bring that in. That's the future. Like, you know, it kind of, it shows them that there is rigorous research behind it. And it's not, um, I guess, kind of more fanciful, wishful thinking about the future. Do you, do you see uh, like uh, a link as well to to like the design tools of uh, uh, like the more uh, design thinking and, and uh, visual communication uh, tools as such and how they bridge into the the, the foresight um, tools and, and methods? Yeah, I think um, absolutely right. So I think so one of the um, kind of more foresight futures thinking um, approaches Um, that kind of sits between like, if you will, like strategic uh, foresight and kind of innovation design thinking is speculative futures where, you know, you then take the futures, um, you you paint a picture, you can either kind of do one scenario or you can do kind of a couple of scenarios that you develop and then kind of start to imagine you know, what people, how people in that scenario interact with, you know, your product or your business or you and really kind of explore what the impact of that is on people. Um, and that's, a, like you said, that that's a really good way, again, to kind of get people to engage with the futures um, in, in a way that's that's more helpful and kind of not not purely analytical, because obviously, you know, like the future hasn't happened yet. So, um, you know, it, you need to kind of use a little bit of your imagination um, to start thinking about what what does all of this mean? What do all of these changes and shifts mean? Um, and then I would say, um, you know, to your point, um, as much as possible in terms of kind of visualizing or bringing the future to life as possible um, is super helpful. And so there's a, there's been a couple of times where um, What I've done is um, we've done workshops that indeed had kind of more of an innovation focus. And when you kind of are able to bring in um, kind of like artifacts of the future, if you will, and that can be, um, you know, kind of emerging artistic kind of innovation. Somebody's kind of been playing around with a certain material, um, etc. but that you can kind of bring that into the room. So people can kind of get a feel for it and kind of go like, oh, you know, it's kind of it makes it a bit more real, even though it might be like a prototype or, you know, it's an, kind of an artist kind of playing around with some new materials. But all of a sudden people kind of see why um, it's interesting to play with, why there's value in exploring that further into the future. So indeed, kind of the more tangible you can make that, um, the easier it becomes for people to engage with it. And that, as I said, kind of before, imagine those futures um, and, and you'll get more out of it as well. I think it's quite hard to you know, just like have slides with trends and kind of present that to people. Yeah, that sounds really good. So do you also see, because then I hear that you say actually like the engaging process of not only like the, the team or the group uh, project group you would be working with, but also engaging from other departments or uh, depending on the company size, of course, with, uh, with the external collaboration partners. Um, but would you then do it, uh, is it efficient to do during the process or is it is it uh, better to, once you have like a defined future, you could say, to then engage with, with other stakeholders, uh, you could say, because maybe it's, mm. is it too fluffy wh- while you are in the fl- process or, or how do you see that? Uh, 
That, yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, I think it depends on kind of what the innovation cycle is, right? So I think if you're, if it's a really long one and it's say it's going to take like a year or even longer, um, in that case, I think, you know, there is a good case to be made for actually starting to share some of that work because then people start to get excited about it. Um, however, if you've kind of, if you know that, you know, you'll get to a more kind of finished um set of products or concepts or prototypes um, and you kind of also have that set of futures that as a business you'll be working with um, I, I kind of would wait to like until they're kind of a little bit more defined if you will to share it but yeah I, it, it, unfortunately the answer is it depends um, but yeah I think you because you want to use it for engagement um, it's kind of yeah that kind of I would say is the main determinator of like if you would use it or not yeah That makes good sense to yeah determine uh, where you are in the process, and of course every innovation process is sensitive, mm. so it has to be decided towards that. Thanks for uh, for your time and no, answering all these uh, questions uh, and having the discussion. It, I think it was uh, thanks really for great. dialing in. So uh, amazing! Yeah. Thank you so much, Rain, <laughs> and uh, bye. And uh, <laughs> it was lovely, lovely bye hearing bye. your thoughts as well. Uh, and it's back to two of us. And I love the conversation um, you were having because it's uh, very interesting, the parallels also that were mentioned between the creative process and uh, kind of trends and foresight process. Again, it, wh whether it's design thinking, if we take it as, as a most popularized creative process and kind of how you do research, how you kind of prototype and test different ideas. And there are lots of similarities with kind of trends and foresight process, again, where you research and kind of understand how you can apply certain things and then prototype different scenarios. Um, but there are also lots of uh, differences, which is, again, makes it uh, quite fun to kind of look, instead of look, look for insights of what happening right now, you more look into the future, what might happen in the future in different different worlds, in different paths. So I find it really fascinating. And you highlighted a really good thing about uh, kind of bringing people into the process. Again, this is probably the classic advice with design thinking or any other creative process that if you want stakeholders to believe in your final product when you present it or to give you the right feedback for your prototype, give the early versions, um, get them into the process, get them mm. there from the beginning, get the right information from them from the beginning. So I think it's it's even more relevant when you work with such a big topic like future. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Amazing. Well, uh, before we get the next caller, I've got another game for you, Sab, and uh, hopefully it won't be as hard as the first <laughs> one, but it's also quite hard, I have to say. It will, it will, it will be a lot of thinking and uh, it will be around trends, um, our favorite topic. So essentially the game is I have papers here on my uh, desk um, and in one pile I have trends and I read recent trends reports from Fjord, from LSN, like lots of wonderful reports that you recommended. And uh, I have kind of different professional industries in, in the other pile. So uh, I'll pick and mix and then we will try to understand how can a certain person or a certain industry and certain company apply this uh, trend. Again, we all know that process can take days. We'll try to make it in five minutes, but uh, <laughs> let's have fun and get the most out of it. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. I'm very, okay. very curious. Okay, let's uh, let's see. So first, I'll pick a trend. 
and the trend is food as a medicine. Mm. And to remind everyone what this trend is, it's from LSN and food as a medicine is being rebranded for modern lifestyle, balancing flavor and function to shape our physical and psychological states. And uh, there was a related, I suppose, um, category trend, uh, molecular sips from WGSN. Essentially, that science and tech are serving up breakthrough beverages made not from grains and grapes, but rather meticulously composed molecules. Anyway, there is a lot happening in food, in food as a medicine, how we consuming food. So that's a, a very interesting trend. And let's see who we're we trying to apply it to. Who will be working with this trend? Ah, uh, someone in finance. Uh, okay. So whether it's a financial company, a, a bank, or mm. it's a person working in finance, how can they use this food as a medicine um, to, to think about the future? So honestly, the first thing I, I was thinking was, right, people in finance um, tend to work a lot, especially people in investment banking and that side of the business. Um, so maybe, oh, actually, I think um, I actually just realized what I'm about to say um, has been done. But yeah, so I, I think as an employer, um, maybe what those banks want to be doing is um, rather than kind of like have the fun snacks that Google used to have, um, they would um, have all of these healthy optimizing snacks um, for their employees so that they're even more focused, that they're even healthier. Um, and so now that I come to think of it, I've, I can't remember um, who it was, but it was a company in the US, it was a bank in the US who um, gave these basically yeah, healthy foods that were supposed to optimize their health and their thinking and their focus um, to their employees to make them healthier. So um, yes. I think that that's a brilliant idea and I definitely up for this trend because I would never be able to work at Google close to all the wonderful food that they have. I've heard all the stories of how like the first month everyone gains weight and then they have to go to the Google gym to actually lose all of it. Uh, so uh, I am definitely up for food that increases your efficiency, abilities, uh, makes you happier and uh, just makes your life more enjoyable. So I love this. Uh, let's try another one. Okay. So the trend is... Doo -doo 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 -doo. The trend is simple life. And simple, simple life trend is from We Are Social. So people are using social to reconnect with their core values, engaging more with their local communities via digital channels, escaping to simplified virtual realities with games like Animal Crossing, where you pretend to be an animal, anything basically that simplifies your life, or also people engaging with influencers who practice simplicity as a lifestyle. Think gardening on TikTok, um, all of these wonderful hobbies that we all picked up while being bored and wanted to do something else, which is not complicated, just simple life. Mm. So this is the trend. And who is working with this trend? And it will be a chef who needs to use this trend somehow mm. in their work. That's a, I think that's quite an interesting one. Because um, I think what's, what's, what I think has been interesting in, in hospitality is um, because of the pandemic, all of a sudden you had all these kind of chefs and restaurants 
um, going on to Instagram to kind of really uh, kind of, I guess, open up that whole process, which is something that they didn't really do before. Um, and so I could kind of see them definitely kind of obviously adapting their menu to maybe have some of those kind of dishes that are, are more kind of simple, um, but maybe with a twist um, to make it still kind of restaurant uh, value. Um, but so, yeah, kind of, you know, creating those memories and um, maybe like nostalgic dishes and um, that it remind you of the simple life and then sharing that on Instagram and kind of how you could make your own version of that. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I would buy into that, to be honest. I think that that's great and uh, definitely a lot more food experiences um, can be done and uh, well I think I love everything to do with food so uh, that works for me okay let's try the last one and what are we picking as a trend and the trend is uh, interaction wanderlust and interaction wanderlust is all it's from Fjord and uh, it's all about screen fatigue more and more of us are grappling with screen fatigue our organization must reconsider design content and audience um, for better interaction people are hungrier than ever for creative content and new interactions brands that break free from outdated norms and restrictive design uh, will be the ones that achieve differentiation so we are all tied with screens we want to touch things we want to feel things we want to do something else than stare at the screen so how can we explore this interaction wanderlust and who will be exploring it? And this will be uh, creative agency. Oh, actually, that's <laughs> that's quite interesting. Hmm. <laughs> okay. This is quite. I th I find this one quite a difficult one. Um. Because as a creative agency, um. I wonder if this is kind of, as a creative agency, not um, not just kind of, I guess, relying on all the digital tools that they use to create, but actually kind of going back to maybe some of the more kind of DIY, physical ways of creating an idea um, and seeing if that can actually lead to people just engaging more with know coming up with new ideas developing what it could look like so yes the kind of i guess like a more physical space and physical tools for them to think about whatever solution that they're, they're trying to solve um but having those tangible things for them to kind of connect and play with um if that could be uh an interesting yeah almost kind of like have a have a playroom or have a creative room um with no screens that's really cool. And I think like definitely something to explore for all of us. I definitely feel like there is so much, there is more space for interactions that don't involve screens. It's just uh, the easiest one uh, that we are glued to is the one that is all about screens. But uh, definitely we, we lived without screens before. We had all these wonderful buttons and uh, knobs that we could touch and feel. And um, I feel like there will be more happening in the area of interactions that uh, potentially will actually go away from screen. So that's quite exciting. Um, we have one more question from the audience. We were sent in a question from Carolina. Uh, so let's try to answer that one. 
so Caroline is asking, uh, the foresight is all about thinking, awareness, understanding, prioritization, and decision-making. As with all thinking processes, we as individuals induce all sorts of various cognitive bands, defects and disadvantages in our reasoning patterns to foresight. Some of the inclinations that simply sneak to the forethought include over-optimism and ho in hopefulness um, of the outcomes and the tendency to prefer uh, evade disadvantages to evolve uh, comparable gains. So her question is, um, which processes and tools do you recommend um, for kind of a long-term uh, planning and um, foresight? And uh, how can we create milestones or metrics, uh, especially talking about financial and economical point of view? So I think there are lots of questions in this question. So I was going to say, that, yes. <laughs> um, um, I feel like there, there are a couple of things that I'm definitely curious about, which is one kind of our biases in the foresight. I think that's kind of one main theme, which is, uh, again, thinking about the future, there's nothing that can be proven before it happens. So how can we remove our over-optimism or whatever other bias we might have. And the second one, how can we measure anything? And again, with measure, measuring any innovation in design, it's always has been a, a question, what metrics or milestones uh, can, we, can we have for foresight? Mm. Yeah, no, um, uh, again, I think this is a really good question. Um, uh, one that I've thought about myself because I've written an article about this, about the biases. Um, because it is something indeed that um, I came across a lot as well. And my background way, way back when I was at university is in uh, cognitive psychology. Um, and so um, hence kind of I, I was kind of seeing these cognitive biases enter the process. Um, and so, yeah, I I can share a link with people um, if, if they kind of find me. I'm happy to share it with them. But yes, yeah, so the, the answer is um, there's indeed a lot of biases and um, I would even kind of extend that um, and say it's not just in kind of thinking about the future, but even um, when researching the future. Um, so there's the one very famous one is confirmation bias. So we kind of we tend to give more attention and look for information that confirms the idea that we have about the future. Um, and we kind of tend to ignore the things that don't fit with that idea. Um, so I think it's it's a really good um, idea. And I think it's great that um, Carolina is actually even aware of the fact that, you know, should we not be paying attention to biases? Yes, absolutely. So um, I think the best way to kind of deal with that is doing a little bit of research on them. There's quite a lot of them. So um, I mean, not to promote my own uh, article here, but um, I, it's quite a what I've done is I've, I've given the ones that I've encountered the most. And I think that's a good starting point um, to just kind of familiarize yourself with kind of the different biases that might happen. Um, because I also give some examples of what is it that people might say. Um, so you can kind of spot them a little bit easier um, and then kind of have a think about how you deal with them. Um, but I think the overall solution with that is that foresight and futures and thinking about the future um, is a social process uh, you know and you, what you want to do is you want to put together a diverse team um, you know we diversity again is one of those things that um, is very hot topic at the moment um, and for the right reason and it, it, especially in, in foresight um, this has kind of always been the case actually that it is a social process you it's near impossible to kind of sit alone at your desk 
do your trends research and think about the future because it's you kind of you really need to talk with other people um, to start thinking about the different implications and people will look in different places that you might be looking um, and so it's something that you also you kind of need to talk about it um, to do it on your own is kind of yeah near near impossible so I think that's kind of um, what I would say about the biases is like it's uh, yeah kind of I would do a little bit of research just to kind of build that awareness so you kind of know which ones to look out for um, and then look out for them kind of across the the whole process so not just in working with them but even kind of when you're researching being aware that you know you might have a bias then the metrics um yeah i mean the metrics is a really interesting one so i'll um so kind of as part of foresight um you've got trends you've got signals um and then you've got your kind of forecasts that kind of have those kind of quantitative models um, below them to kind of project um, growth or decrease, if you will. Um, and I think, um, you know, we as we need to make decisions, um, you know, because we need to allocate capital and, re and other resources and time, etc. Um, and so you know, the more detail that we have, the more confident we feel in the decision that we're making. Um, and so I think there is definitely value um, in investing in those forecasts. Um, but I think at the same time, um, especially in, in the times that we live, we need to be hyper aware of the value that those forecasts have. And so what I mean with that is there's, um, there's a couple of like quite interesting uh, studies that have looked at forecasts and the accuracy of them. And so um, I think the two famous ones are the IMF um, and their kind of forecasts of global GDP that just have been wrong year on year on year for kind of like years and years in a row. Um, similarly with um, solar energy and kind of, you know, you have the kind of the World Energy Association predicting how much that's going to increase year on year. And I think for more than 10 years, they've consistently got it wrong um, and really dramatically underestimated. And even when they corrected, because they kind of, it became a bit of a running joke. And even when they correct it, they still got it wrong. So I think it's kind of also being aware to what, not basically um, using just forecasts um, when you're making those strategic decisions. Um, I, I think, you know, it's kind of, it's weighing up those different um, pieces of intelligence that you bring to the table. So yes, you want to be looking at, okay, what kind of growth can we expect in our category um, to kind of help inform our decisions but at the same time you know you want to look at that um, with other kind of foresight as well um, so with trends or potentially scenarios um, or with kind of key uncertainties um, like a Brexit or who's going to be the next president or you know whatever kind of the uncertainty might be um, to frame that discussion and not just rely um, on forecasts um, because at the end of the day forecasts are based on historical data um, and so you're always kind of using the past to predict the future um, but that's not always um, very valuable and useful uh, especially when um, the world around us is definitely changing quite dramatically um, there's a lot of systems big systems in the world that are changing meaning that um, the past and the future are likely to be very different. Um, 
which then also makes your models unfortunately less valuable as the future is going to be significantly different from the past um so to kind of wrap that up i would say um there's definitely value in um having those forecasts especially to inform um probably more short-term planning and strategy um but when you the, the kind of further out you go um the less value um, most of these forecasts are going to have. And that's when you want to make sure that you're looking at the different pieces within that kind of foresight um, and other intelligence that you have um, to inform your strategies. Amazing. Oh, such a, so, so many great insights. And uh, I definitely recommend uh, thinking everyone to like start thinking about all these future tools. And um, I think now is the best time to start thinking about the future and how we can all... Um, prepare for it and find opportunities because I think current situation only makes us think about what can be in the future, what can we use uh, to our advantage um, and um, as company as well as as people. It definitely brings me hope when uh, I start thinking about the future opportunities rather what's happening right now, today or um, in the next month. So um, these tools couldn't be more relevant uh, to the world that we are in uh, right now. Actually, a couple of last questions from me in terms of like foresight and, and future trends. And uh, I suppose one is just, uh, I suppose, news. How, how do you feel, how do you know if uh, something is, like, are there any signals if some, when something new comes out, if it's here to stay or if it's here to go? And to give you an example, something we've been discussing with the team recently is Clubhouse. And I don't know if you are on Clubhouse, but everyone is talking about Clubhouse. And uh, something new like that is obviously it's a social network. It's, uh, it's new. It's, I mean, it's not as new. It actually came out, I think, May 2020 mm -hmm. or something like that. It just picked up really well on social media right now and even Zuckerberg I think appeared last week on it and everyone was discussing is this the new uh, era of audio social networks anyway as a as a business as well as as a person uh, we we sat down with the team and thought okay is that something that we should invest our time in is it something that will continue is it something that will stop and uh, how can we kind of capitalize on this essentially is it a trend or is it a fad so um what what are your thoughts on this and how would you approach uh, thinking about new something new like let's say clubhouse yeah i think um so th there's a couple of things there right so in terms of kind of identifying whether something's a trend or a fad um it can be a bit tricky like when it just starts but what i would say um in the case of for example clubhouse is that um kind of audio content has definitely been for the last years um, ga gaining momentum. Um, and so obviously podcasts, right, are the other really big one there. Um, but there's kind of been some other really interesting ones as well in kind of more music world, um, where kind of artists are kind of getting those more direct connections with people, kind of basically not on Spotify. Um, and so I, I think, so therefore I see kind of Clubhouse sitting in this kind of broader trend where people um you know as as you spoke earlier uh, you know kind of want to have a moment away from a screen and actually kind of just like listen into a conversation 
Um, and so I can definitely imagine that um, for that reason, it, it seems like it's part of that trend. So therefore, I would say, you know, it's definitely an interesting one to um, monitor and observe. Um, I think whether or not um, Clubhouse is going to be here to stay is really difficult because, you know, it being kind of a social network, um, and with everything that we've been seeing around social networks, um, you know, they're going to have to deal with that as well, right? They're going to have to deal with hate speech, um, discrimination, etc. Um, I've, I've heard some bad stories about Clubhouse as well and some good stories. Um, so it, I think it, the success will depend on and how they'll be able to deal with that um, and make sure that, yeah, it, it's a platform that people kind of want to tune into for kind of whatever reason it is, um, but not necessarily to kind of um, like some other social media platforms that maybe are a bit more divisive and are more polarizing and um, kind of creating filter bubbles. Um, But I think, so yeah, that's kind of almost more from a kind of like a, a technical point of view, right? In terms of like how they deal with those challenges, if you will. But I think from a kind of a, a concept and a kind of value towards consumers and people uh, yeah i think i i definitely see the value of it um so yeah i i would uh, i would try it if i were you and kind of experience it it's kind of the same with tiktok i did not get it and then you get on it and then you get it yeah i think it's it's really a, a good example comparing them with tiktok we we definitely we are trying it and we're actually going live this week there as well so we'll see the best way again to to assess something is obviously to try it there's it's pointless just to sit and discuss how something mm. will, will work. I think my observations on that was two things. Same first as you, um, already mentioned audio is here to stay and we want to be away from the screens. I use any opportunity to to listen to something rather than to read or watch. I really want my eyes to rest. So anything to do with audio, I think, mm. has massive, massive opportunity. And uh, this has been so far the first mainstream social network that relies purely on audio. So I think that's already a success. Whether it becomes a friendster that's kind of as a stepping stone for the next Facebook and kind of um, or a, a MySpace before Facebook that was just an exploration of a certain theme that then grows out of it, that would be interesting to see. I think I I, I can see lots of flaws with it right now. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, obviously the the filtration. From my point of view, uh, again, if we compare it for TikTok, if you've been once on TikTok, you know why it's addictive. Like you get it straight away. You understand why it's viral and why it's a social network, because as soon as you get on it, you can't stop scrolling. This is just same with, Mm -hmm. uh, again, apps like Tinder and everything else. It has this addictive hooked element that just makes people stay. And I have to say, so far Clubhouse, didn't get didn't do that for me uh, because you kind of join some conversation midway through conversation and uh, you don't really get anything out from five minutes of it and mm-hmm. then you kind of go and you can't have a written version of recording of it all of these things that kind of stop there, there have always been problems with audio content uh, kind of were not really solved yet so it's very interesting to see how they will develop that, I suppose. M- my prediction was that the social network that has more of a story format of audio, so something like a one-minute clips of thought, like essentially calling your voicemail and just hearing different people saying interesting things to you. Um, I think that in a 
in a kind of attention spans that we have now could be an interesting thing. Again, it's much easier to sit on a sofa and decide what would work. They might have tried it. Uh, but I think it's, it's definitely something interesting and it's here to stay. But I think positive thing about that, uh, going back to your conversation about diversity, is I think actually it might help with the diversity because, um, again, we don't have those biases uh, with audio. We have less biases with audio based on the appearance of people. So I think it's definitely a, a very interesting one that can give a lot of voice to communities and people that might have been underrepresented just because everything else was so relying on visual. Um, so interesting interesting to follow, interesting to see. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, um, like, like you said, that they'll, they'll probably um, have to play around with kind of the, the format and and how what format works and what doesn't work. Um, I personally don't mind the the longer form because um, I I have a dog so I have to walk a lot. Um, so that's that's when I would listen to it and kind of there is that kind of intimacy as well with with voice um, that kind of creates like a, a a bigger connection if you will with a with a person. Um, so I can see from that point of view that that. That can be quite powerful like you say I think it could be really interesting for diversity and kind of to connect with different voices and hear those discussions um but yeah I yeah they'll have to kind of think about the format what works best and um I guess we'll see well that's exciting always exciting to see trends developing in front of our mm. eyes and the futures happening and uh, and being part of it is even more exciting. Thank you so, so much, Seb. And uh, for everyone, by the way, who love the topic of trends and foresight and the futures and who are thinking about that for their businesses or for themselves, uh, a little reminder that uh, Seb created an incredible course on trends and strategic foresight uh, with Future London Academy that you can find on our website. And it has lots of practical stuff, it has lots of templates and tools that you can use for your workshop shops and for your business so I definitely enjoy going through it and would recommend anyone who is planning anything strategic at the moment or plans to grow their company or just pivot to new territories and trying to understand how to stay relevant uh, whether you are in the brand side or product side or business side um, it definitely applies to all of that um, thank you Sab any last closing remarks anything you wanted to say before we wrap up um yeah no i think firstly thank you for um for having me this was this was a lot of fun i've enjoyed the games i i think i definitely need to read more sci-fi that's one lesson i've learned today um and yeah i think i hope i really genuinely hope that um it, it inspired people to start engaging um i guess more um with the future and giving it um a bit more thought and I guess the final final thing I want to say is that um, the, the future kind of the way that I look at it and that kind of we work with it at Superframe as well as kind of thinking about it as a tool um, to work with. And you're not you're not really trying to predict the future, um, which uh, I, I would avoid trying to do because uh, there's not much value in that. Um, but really what you want to be doing is kind of preparing um, and trying to not be blindsided by anything or be taken aback by anything, um, but be more prepared essentially for what happens um, and yeah, build that resilience. But um, yeah, hopefully we've managed to inspire people to um, start thinking more about uh, yeah the future or the futures.
Amazing. Thank you so, so much, Seb. And yes, please do follow Superframe everywhere, uh, whether it is LinkedIn or uh, anywhere else. Um, check out the blog. They write a lot of great content uh, in terms of insights and the futures. And as well as follow Future London Academy. Uh, we have lots of insights we share on Instagram and uh, you can find Creative Capes podcast on all podcasting platforms. So again, if you are into audio, please subscribe because there will be more conversations that are coming out soon and definitely we'll try to bring you the latest and the greatest from the industry. So stay tuned. Thanks everyone for tuning in and I really enjoyed talking to you, Seb. And uh, until next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you want to join one of these interviews in the future and ask your questions, follow us on Instagram. We are at Future London Academy. We are doing live chats weekly with some of the most inspiring people in the industry. So prepare your questions and see you there. If you want to learn from these people about how they work with clients and approach projects in more depth, join one of our courses at Future London Academy, taught by the best of the best in the world of design and innovation. And if you're ever in London, come in for a coffee. We love meeting new people. Thanks again and until next time.